0: They're going to be in 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 12 through 20. And I've realized through this that one of the biggest problems in the church today is a problem that's always been around, and it's called functional atheism. You know what that is? You know what an atheist is? Someone who believes there's no God. You know what a functional atheist is? Someone who lives like there's no God. Imagine you got home from church today. And you walked in the door, and and Jesus is sitting there. And he gets up to greet you. It's kind of, you know, so like Jesus, he's the one who gets up to greet us when we should be the one falling down before him. He gets up, he says, Hey, it's good to see you. I want to let you know that I'm going to be hanging out with you for the next month. I've decided to move in. So 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, I'm just going to hang out with you. I'm going to go to work with you. I'm going to go shopping with you. I'm going to sleep on the floor in your room when you're sleeping. Everywhere you go, I'm going to go. We're going to hang out together, real close like that. Now, would you be excited... Or would you think, oh, hold on, i got to make a couple phone calls, I've got to clean up the house a little bit, I want to you know, delete some stuff off the computer, and, and you start changing things up to look all nice and proper for Jesus, right? Or, or would you be like, that's awesome, Lord, I'm so glad we're going to get to spend a fullness of a month together in, in, in such a setting. This is great. You know, which way do you guys feel? Think about what you would change. You know, when you're paying your bills, if Jesus is sitting down there right next to you, you know, or would, would you be like, look, Jesus, look, look at this, you know, or, or you're interacting with people. Would you, you know, would, would your words change? You know, would, would the way you speak to people change? Would, when you sit down to watch TV, would you say, hey, Jesus, come on, it's eight o'clock, look what's on? Or would you be like, oh, no, no, Lord, we don't watch much TV in this house. You know, would you, would you fake it and get up early and, and spend time in scripture? Or, or, or would you just, you know, wake up grumpy, grumbling like a bear out of hibernation, Um, what would you do for entertainment what would you read what would you consume how would you spend your time would it change well the odds are it probably would change drastically wouldn't it well you want to know the bad news or the good news good news is Jesus doesn't love us based on how we live because we'd be in a whole lot of trouble the bad news is he's not at home waiting for you the Lord is actually here with us right this very moment it's called functional atheism well as we look at this text let's look at what happens let's let's look at what drives us what motivates us, who we are, what we were made to do, and what we're made to be. So, 1 Corinthians, chapter 6. Start in verse 12, I'll read through the text and then we'll go through it. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Verses 12 through 14. Let's start there. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated anything you see the quotation marks in there what's happening is the corinthians or the believers in corinth are quoting biblical truth they're quoting paul's teaching but they're distorting it all things are lawful for me is that true for a christian are all things lawful for you that's a good question we're not under the law we're under grace all things are lawful for us absolutely look over at um Romans 6. Should have marked this better. So the law on sin, right? It talks about how the law can convicts us of sin. It says, what then shall we say? That, that the law of sin by no means. I'm in verse 7 over there. If it, yet it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Verse 14, back in 6. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are what? Not under law, but under grace. So, are all things lawful for us? Yeah, we're not under the law, we're under sin. So does that mean you should go and do whatever you want? Well, Paul wrote about that in verse 15 and following. What then, are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So they had a truth here. They said, all things are lawful for me. So I'm going to go and sleep with my stepmom and I'm going to go and commit all sorts of acts of sexual morality, and I'm going to live like the culture. And the culture in Corinth had this pagan theology that was saying the body and the soul were separate. So whatever you did in the body had no impact on the soul. They were separate and distinct entities. Now, if you don't think that that's a timeless lie, just look around the culture for us today and you'll see how many Christian people have brought in this this pagan theology into their life, and they think, well, whatever I do with my body doesn't really matter. It's separate from my relationship with the Lord. Paul's point is, no, that's not true one bit. We're going to talk about that in a second, but hang on on this lawful thing first. All things are lawful for me, end quote, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, end quote, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Here's a huge distinguishing mark that you and I need to understand robustly. We are not under the law. We should be under, and we are under the sway of grace. It's not do's and don'ts, it's is it helpful. What does helpful mean? It's really kind of interesting how Paul explains that in 1 Corinthians 10. In 10.23, he says again, quote, unquote, all things are lawful. We're going to have a continual theme for a while here. All things are lawful, end quote, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of who? His neighbors. So helpful means does it build up? So when you get into this, you start to say, not can I, but does it build up in the Lord you get kids they date and they they want to press these boundaries first of all I have a huge problem with the concept of dating in our culture and we can talk about that when we get to the text of it but um mm, in seven you'll see about you know marriage versus remaining single and you don't have any kids you have a lot less stress but we'll talk about that another time but one of the problems with dating is all these can I questions right well, can I hold... This is how you do it in a in, in variety of, of Christian legalist structures. Can we hold hands? Right? Can we kiss? Can we cuddle? Can I sleep at their house? Can I... No, now, no, back this up. Because the whole thing is not a can I. Go with the helpful question. Will it build up my potential future spouse in the Lord if I hold their hand? Or will lusts of the flesh become in play? Will it build up my fellow future spouse in the Lord if we make out or will it cause lust of the flesh to take root? W- yeah? will it build you see where I'm going here? Will it be helpful? Will it build up? That's what we're to live under in, in the context of sexual immorality in the context of all of life. not can I. Will it build up? Will it be helpful and will the sway of grace cause you to walk in joyful obedience? So I've said many times, maybe too many times, you don't have to go to church. Apparently that's a part of the message that's stuck in with people. I should have put the, the quote further on. But should you go to church? You're darn right you should go to church. Why? Well, first the Lord commands you to go to church. And if you don't want to go to church, it should tra- cause a question of why don't you want to? And some of the reasons you don't want to, dare I say most of the reasons you don't want to, have to do with the flesh and becoming captive, dominated by the flesh. Make sure I repeat this message next time, right? <laughs> We have got to understand that we are are under the sway of grace. It's called the law of liberty. It's not about can I, can't I, do I have to. It's about should I, is it helpful, does it build up in the Lord. That changes the whole structure of legalism, doesn't it? All things are lawful for you, but not all things are helpful. Look at this next part. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. What does dominated mean? It means enslaved to controlled by if you don't believe me look at the culture in the context of this dating what is driving people and they don't have to be kids grown-up state too because you know people get married like they're fifties, sixties, 70s right what's driving these relationships amongst believers now I'm, I'm not talking amongst the culture they're just captive to sin amongst believers and you all know believers can sin and sin robustly right what's driving them is it a desire to to build one another up in the lord it's a fleshly desire isn't it you know the first thing people look for in a well first of all it's what they should be looking for in the context of courtship dating is a potential future spouse hey they good looking you know all right check do i like being around them check are they a believer oh they see they go to church sometimes check what happens is you become enslaved to the flesh you become dominated not it's not about being helpful well you ever hear this concept of, of shipwrecking your faith made the baby cry do you ever ever hear of this concept of shipwrecking your faith i think this is a forgotten teaching within the church people think that that you come to faith by grace right through believing in jesus and then you just kind of coast and then at some point down the road you drop dead and then you wake up in heaven and you know you just hang out with dead relatives it's just not the biblical teaching of of sanctification and, and eternal life interesting, interesting passage here. Let's start in our 1 Timothy 119. 1 Timothy Paul, uh, 119, Paul is writing to Timothy, obviously. And he says, I'll go ahead and start in 18, it makes more sense. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, Some have made, you guys see that? Shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Himenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Remember a few weeks ago we learned about handing people over to Satan? Mm -hmm. You can shipwreck your faith. You you can render yourself useless for service to the Lord. Did you know that? that? That you can actually disqualify yourself to be used in service to the Lord. You can't lose your faith. But you can render your faith completely ineffective. I think a lot of people have done this. Hebrews 12. You guys know good old Esau. You know what happened to Esau? It says, No one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. You know why he couldn't repent? He became captive to the passions of the flesh. Uh, Philippians, we'll give you you one more example here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. So these are believers, right? Walk as enemies of the cross, of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their God is their belly. Now, now go back to our text for today. He's talking about food is meant for the what? Literally, belly, right? And what's going to happen with food in the belly? What about the body? Now, this may not be the most exciting news to all of us right now in our fallen state, but you got your body forever. Did you know that? The body hangs around forever you're like, oh you get a resurrected version i don't know what it looks like you know i, I guess you walk around heaven if you're a man you just flex oh and you're, i don't know i don't know what age or i don't know what your body looks like but i promise you won't be walking around heaven like this oh oh lord why oh lord it'll function perfectly but your body is going to be resurrected These suckers are given to us for a particular reason, for a particular purpose, and with a particular end. Do you know why? Ever think about this? Why did God give you a body? He could have made us bodiless. Why did the Lord decide to give you a physical, flesh, blood, body? Well, he had to. No, he didn't have to. He made everything from nothing. It was a blank canvas. It wasn't even a blank canvas. It was just nothing. Why did he give us these things? Adam and Eve were created, right, just, just like us. They, they could bleed. They, they were alive. They had bodies. You ever, you ever think about why? We're image bearers. But we have these things which are, are instruments which are somehow intimately tied in with, with our, our very being to glorify God is what it says. Look at verse 20. It says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your what? In your body. Romans 12.1. Do you know what Romans 12.1 calls us to do? Offer something to God as a living sacrifice. You know what that something is? Your body. You have this body to use for the glory of God. And it also says the body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Do you know what that means? you know who lives in you? Do you actually, do you see how hard that is to believe? God lives in you. Remember the temple? Solomon built the temple. And inside the temple was a holy of holies. And there was a big, thick heavy curtain and and no one went through there except once a year the high priest who had to spend almost 10 days ritually purifying himself to go in and it seems that he would he would uh well they did i know they, they had almost like little bells on the bottom of their robes they tie a rope around him and they could hear the bells when he'd go into the holy of holies but he went in in an improper manner he would drop dead so they'd have to pull the body out they, they couldn't go in to get him well you know where the holy of holies exists today so, why back in the times of a physical temple, could you imagine an American in, in biblical times, who going behind the curtain, people would be flopping dead all the time. But inside of us, is the t- this is the temple of God. There's nothing to boast about. Like, I am a temple of the Lord. No, you're a wretched nothing made right through Christ. But God chose to dwell in us, and the body is meant to glorify God. So, when we go out, when Paul's speaking to the Corinthians, he's looking at these people, he's like, oh my gosh, You guys are living just like the culture. You're asking, can I, can't I? Legalist this, legalist that. It's not by works, it's by grace. The question isn't can I, it's is it helpful? And understand the context of what your body is for. Is it helpful to build up in the Lord? You know what Jesus says in Matthew 5? Yeah, Matthew 5, 29. About the the hand and the eye. This, This is a great passage. Just put it on our website. Nobody... I think you know I should preach with an arm behind my back and have an eye patch on and be like, "I'm a holy, holy man now." What's he talking about there? What's going on with this? Five. I'm in Matthew 5, 29 and 30, right? He's dealing. Oh, that's interesting. He's dealing with the concept of lust. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body. Be thrown into hell, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. I love how he's good about cleaning up. You don't just cut it off and leave it there. Cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Are you saved by works or by grace? So, what is he talking about here? It doesn't seem like he's saying, if you're sinning, gouge out that eye so you stop sinning so you don't go to hell. If your hand's causing you to sin, cut it off so you stop sinning so you don't. Is that what he's saying? He's dealing with a shipwreck for a believer. For the non-believer, it has nothing. For the non-believer, you're wasting time plucking your eye out. You're going to burn in hell with two eyes or one eye or no eyes. It's about grace through faith. But for the believer, do you see how seriously the Lord is talking about sin there? 1 Corinthians 9. Paul talks about this. This is another wonderfully difficult passage in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. It's about training. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises, this is a horrible word, isn't it? Self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body. That word discipline actually more literally means to blacken the eye of. So Paul's almost saying, I, I literally blacken my eye to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I should be disqualified. He doesn't want to make a shipwreck of his faith. The Lord calls us to self-control and self-denial, not because he's, you know, with our own kids, at times, pride plays too big. And we're all concerned they're going to embarrass us out in public, you know? We, we want them to be self-controlled so people don't look at us like we're horrible parents. You know, my kid's running around, and he's screaming and just wetting his pants and he's 17 years old. I'm going to be embarrassed. Like, listen, when you're in public, act right so people at least think we have a normal functioning family. That's, that's like the parenting stuff. Do you think Jesus calls us to self-denial and self-control because he doesn't want to be ashamed of us in public? No, it's because he loves us. It's because he wants us to live the lives we were made to live and he knows the danger of being dominated by the flesh, shipwrecking your faith, and being rendered neutered for all intents and purposes in your faith. Do you see that? This is a loving command of the Lord Deny yourself, self-control. He, he's now. No one come back missing an eye and all bandaged up from your hand cut off. This is a, this is a rabbinical teaching of exaggeration. He's saying, go to an extreme if necessary, but flee sin. And do you know what our culture tells us? Do you know what the Corinthian culture told them? Oh no 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 no! Don't flee sin. Go go and enjoy sin. There, there's a place out west, to a, a travel destination. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. it it's called Las Vegas and you know what the nickname for Las Vegas is Sin Sin City well why the heck would you want to go to a place called Sin City you know what else they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas what the implication is well God doesn't know what you're doing here anyway so it's no big deal come and have fun it's same thing as Corinth. and you can go to Vegas as a believer You can literally go to Vegas as a believer. Sometimes work might bring you to Vegas as a believer. I would caution, go cautiously to Vegas as a believer. But many people go to Vegas to have a grand old time. And you know what they can do while they're there as believers? They can shipwreck their faith. The Lord doesn't want you to shipwreck your faith. He loves you too much for that. So let's now move out of this section and get to joyful obedience. Look at verse 15 through 19. It would be one thing. God could just say, Look. look send my son he died for you now ship up or ship out shape up or ship out he'll speak better than I do I cleaned you up now I own you you're gonna obey me or I'm gonna hurt you right he could say that so if you're gonna sin pluck your eye out chop your hand off and do what I say and do it joyfully that's not what he says though he says you dirty rotten filthy no good stinking wretch I'm going to take your stink upon me and put my beautiful aroma of righteousness upon you. I'm going to breathe life into your spiritually dead body. You are going to be born anew, a new creation. And then look at this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Or do you not know that he is joined to a prostitute, becomes one body with her? But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. God doesn't just like hose us off and say, now you're clean, now get over there. Wait to go to heaven. He cleans us off and unites us to himself as children. He makes us part of his family. He adopts us. Why? What did we have to offer him? Nothing but sin. Do you think God was, was, you know, Adam and Eve? This is how most people view God. He makes everything. He makes Adam and Eve, you know, through the process of evolution over many, many years. That's how most people and then uh, Adam and Eve messed up, and God's like, oh, man, what did I do? And somewhere, like, I think in the Bible, it talks about God regretted making man, right? Yeah, okay. And so they take that completely out of context. And what do I do? Oh, I'm going to have to woo people back to myself. I'm miserable now, so I'm going to try, try a variety of things. We'll use judges. Uh, uh, we'll try kings. Uh, uh, we'll do prophets. Oh, man, this isn't working. I'm going to send my son. And please love him, Jesus. Go ask him to please love you. We're so lonely and sad. So then Jesus came, and, and Jesus walked around in a very clean white robe and rather effeminate manner. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy burdened. He had a British accent. <laughs> and, and he would cry. You know why he cried? Because people do not love me. I'm so sad. Father, they do not love us. I know, Jesus. What can we do? I know, Father. I will die to show them my love. And he died on the cross, and he rose. And please follow me, right? Please. God was not sitting there going, oh, what did Adam and Eve do? He already knew what Adam and Eve would do. And he knew what would happen after Adam and Eve did what he knew they would do. But you know why, in part, he let them do what they did? So that he could show us his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and his compassion and his slowness to anger and also his holiness and his justice and his wrath. God doesn't walk around heaven going, I'm so lonely, I need friends. You know that old, when when a a child dies, God needed another angel in heaven. Can I tell you, if one of you ever says that to somebody, I won't smack you because that would be wrong, but I'll find someone to smack you. (laughs) God doesn't kill kids to make them into angels in heaven. What a pathetic God. Oh, I have another angel to swim with me. Jesus, we're happy. No. You want to know why little kids die? I don't know. Sin. That's all I can tell you. They're not meant to die. God doesn't like that they die, but he's in control of it. He could stop it. He doesn't. I don't know why. But I know he does. And I know his plans and ways are perfect. What the heck was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So he wasn't grieving this. He knew what would happen. And the end plan, which was always going to happen, is that those he predestined before the foundations of the earth would be knit together with him forever. He wanted to live with us forever, even though we were so filthy. We had nothing to offer him. He, he walked down the street. He found the nastiest, vilest, stinkiest, most repulsive rebels who hated him and want him dead. And he said, I love you so much that I'm going to take what you deserve on me and put what you don't deserve on you. And he knit us together in his family. We can call God father, but see, we live as functional atheists. We know in our heads he's our father, but we don't think he's really here. We don't think he's really going to care for us and we don't think he's really going to act, you know with this whole concept of seeking to share the gospel with everyone in a a radius around us, on an intellectual level, we'd be like, well, we know God loves him intellectually. We know he's here with us. We know we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We know the word of God is the power of salvation. He's not really going to do anything, is he? Don't pray with doubt, right? Live with belief that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. God knit us together with him. And he says... As my kid, live like you're supposed to live. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? The culture of Corinth and the culture of America are not very different at all. They cause people to be drawn into the passions of the flesh watch marketing closely do you know why there are always ladies gyrating on the screen to sell anything because we've been infected with sin and these these sexual desires within us they sell product the lord's saying flee this flee all sin but in particular pay attention to this because if you don't you'll become dominated by it do you see that jesus jesus isn't a killjoy He's actually a joy giver. Do you know that you will have no lasting joy in anything apart from Christ? Nothing. Not money, not fame, not family, not work. Nothing will give you true joy apart from Christ. And that's Jesus's point. I don't want you to be a miserable wretch. I want you to have abundant life now. So here's what we do with this. We we remember who we are, whose we are. And how we were made that. So verse 20. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We got these to glorify God. And we think, well, that's going to stink. That's not going to be fun. I got to do all this. No, 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 no. It's not about the do, 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 do. It's about grace. And when you're not motivated to do by the sway of grace, do you know what you need to do? Put yourself back under the weight of the law again. Look at the requirements God puts upon you. See your filth in the law. That's what Paul talks about. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin so that you may be again swayed by grace. Little by little, we drift and we drift and we think I'm not that bad of a person. I'm actually quite capable on my own. I really don't need to hang around God so much. I'm good on my own. Oh, look, how happy, happy, happy I am. It doesn't go well. You're shipwrecking your faith and that's how the evil one works. Oh, listen, it's a beautiful day out. You don't want to go to church. Sleep in a little bit. Have a sip of coffee. You've earned it. You're under grace. You don't have to do anything, right? You're like, oh, next week you wake up. It's another nice day. Oh, didn't you have such a nice time last weekend? Why don't you have another sip of coffee and get ready for the Eagles game, right? So then all of a sudden, two, three, four weeks, and you know what happens? It becomes habitual the devil's grinning you got free time on your hands my friends nobody's poking you about sin no one's calling you to righteousness you oh this is so nice i'm sitting on the deck and there are some teeth smiling that you can't see pleased with what you're doing and then you may have people under your charge f- friends relatives associates neighbors there i say even little kids and they look at you and see how you're living and like why, why aren't you well, well don't you go to church anymore oh you know i used to go i don't need to go to church i watch on tv Perfect, my friend. Perfect. The TV church. And it goes on and on. Guys, we need to realize how dumb we are. We're sheep, right? Sheep. That's all we do all through life. We, we we just buy and we pass gas. And we buy and we pass gas and then we fall over. And you don't want to end up stuck over too long because then you're on your back. Bah, and you don't even know where you are. We need to love people enough, and this is part of what I'm talking about at the beginning, to walk over and tap our fellow sheep stop laughing you're on your back farting can i help you up <laughs> now, now some of them may say leave me alone <laughs> you know what? at some point you gotta just you gotta just let them be but someone's got to tell them that they're on their back farting right so that they can come and tell us the same thing when we flop because a sheep on his back is rendered neutered in the service of the lord but a sheep on four feet Following the good shepherd will do amazing things. Well, fellow sheep, if you ever see me on my back farting, will you nudge me and get me up? Because I'm going to do the same for you. Paul is speaking to flopped sheep and says in verse 20, You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Listen, I like food, but you're never going to find your joy in food. You're going to find your joy in what? Living bread. Do you know you can become dominated by food? Huh? You ever look around our culture? You see people—it's the lusts of the body, food, mm, 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 mm. and you can't stop. It's never been my problem. I have other issues, folks. You're not made to be satisfied simply by drink. Did you know that? You're made to be satisfied by living water. But can you be dominated by drink? Oh, you can be dominated by drink. You aren't made to be satisfied by sex. And the world says, "Oh, give me a break! You'll be so happy." Not a lot of happy people out there. You're made to be satisfied in an intimate relationship with God himself. Do you see that? The world tells you, eat, drink, and be merry. Didn't Solomon talk about that? Jesus says, through Paul, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Food, drink, sex, they're all good when used in the manner God intends. But if they're not, they will slowly begin to dominate us and shipwreck our faith. So what we need to do when you get home today, you can even start right now. Because I tell you, I started with this and I guarantee you it slipped all of our minds. When you get home, you need to remember that God's there. But do you know he's here right now? Every word that I'm speaking, and this is what I should humble every pastor. Every word I'm speaking, he's listening to and holding me accountable for. That should scare the boots off of me. Actually, maybe we should do these on a delay so I can edit them down and be careful. He is with us. He is watching us. And he is caring for us. Now, that will either scare the living daylights out of you or will give you incredible joy. I think it's Hebrews 10. It says to fall into the hands of an angry God, right, is a frightful thing. That's what every non-believer lives in. They, they, they're not living good lives that, that are pleasing God. They're going to fall into his, his hands condemned. And that should scare the boots off of you. But for the believer, you don't need to walk around feeling like Jesus is micromanaging. Hmm, Renee, what are you looking at? What are you doing? Hmm, hmm. Damn, is that your phone out? She doesn't have her phone out. Jesus isn't walking around micromanaging us. He's guiding us as a good shepherd. You know, when you sit home and and you you get mad at someone on the phone and you're yelling under your breath, guess who's listening to your words? You're saved by grace through faith. He's not going to kick you out of the household. But he's saying, do not become dominated by the passions of the flesh, but hear the gospel anew each day. Don't end up on your back. Don't hide your sin. I see your sin, and I've given you people to love you and care for you in the context of relationship. But remember what you were made for, where you will find true joy, where we will bring glory to God, and how the lost will come to hear the message of salvation. Guys, we are, we are incredibly powerful people. Did you know that? You know when Moses walked up to, and I'll stop yapping in a minute, but Moses walks up to, to Pharaoh, right? Let my people go. Whoa, Where he get that courage? You know? Moses was a stammering guy. He was all timid and weak. God, I don't want to go. But he shows up before the most powerful man in the world. Let my people go. You know why he said that? God told him to. God calls us to go out and proclaim that there is a king who is coming. There is a conquering king who is coming to destroy all of his enemies. And he sends ahead emissaries. Say so there's a king coming. And he's going he's to destroy every enemy, but he's offering terms of peace and surrender. And he's going to allow you to not just join his army, but to become children of the Most High King. Well, we're sent ahead by the king. Well, what's the worst thing someone could do to you? What's the absolute worst thing someone could do to you? And where do you end up? Home with the king. That's as bad as it gets. The worst thing that could actually happen to you is you get sent ahead on mission, and then you start acting like the enemies, Right? You, you, know, you come to tell people that the King is coming and He loves them and He made a way for them to surrender and become His children and you end up hanging around too close to him and you get drawn in and you become captive and then you're just living like the rest of them and you forget the King is coming. We need a wake-up call from the Lord. I need it. We all need it. Daily to remind us of who He is, who we are through Him and who the lost are apart from Him. We need to not be conformed to this world. We need to not be dominated. So please, never ask, well, ask, but ask the Lord first. Don't come and say to me, can I or can't I? Should I or shouldn't I? Will this be helpful? That's the law of liberty and the sway of grace that we're to live under, not the fear of legalism. Let's pray. Father God, I know that all of us, myself first and foremost, at times live as functional atheists. Someone, someone messes with my sovereign plan of what I want to do on a day and, and I don't respond in grace. Someone cuts me off in traffic and, and how dare they infringe upon my rule of the road. People anger me and frustrate me. At times I can try to manipulate people to cause them to do what I want, especially if it impacts my plans for the day. Lord, I, I confess these sins to you And I'm thankful that through the Lord Jesus they are forgiven. But Lord God, I I hope that in each and every moment you would empower us to know that you are there. I think of the song when I was a little kid in Hebrew school, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. God is everywhere. He is a very present help in times of trouble. You are in all places and in all times and in all ways. You have your eye upon us. Your desire is to counsel us with your eye upon us. Lord Jesus... I pray that you would guide us well, that we would hear your voice. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would, we would use our bodies as temples of yours to bring glory to you, to allow you to work through us in these vessels, to, to have your name magnified. May we become progressively smaller, as John says, so that you may become bigger. Lord, help us. We are weak. We become cast. We complain and we grumble because we forget you are with us that you are who you say you are. Lord, help us not become dominated by the passions of the flesh. Help us not conform to this world, but allow us to see you for who you truly are. Have genuine, true, abiding joy so that others might see how we live as sheep following a shepherd. They might ask a reason for the hope that we have, and we would be able to tell them that the Most High King has made us his children, that he has sent us with a message of peace for those who surrender to him, who turn from sin and seek to live for his glory. And I pray, God, that we would see many saved before you return, Lord Jesus, as we look forward to an eternity of perfection in your presence, where we might live as we were meant to live. We might glorify you in fullness, where we can praise you face to face and never worry about sadness, grief, mourning, or pain. Lord Jesus, that you made a way for rebels to be forgiven and live that way. What a gift you are yourself, Lord Jesus, to us. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen.